Again, good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Let's pray, and we will get into uh, Mark, chapter 1. Father, Lord, we sing these beautiful things, and, and we know them to be true. We know that's what should be our experience. My fear, Lord, is that there's so many, even sitting here, so many that are your children that have yet to experience you as the lifter of their head, as, as Lord, as a shield for them, as, as you were for David, and as you've been in so many lives, and so many have experienced how you've been a shield for them. Lord, you've protected them from the darts of the enemy. Your word has been so good and you're, you've been so faithful in our lives that when there is an attack, Lord, you are a shield for us. We can hide in you and hide behind you and, and find shelter and refuge in you, Lord. And So, Lord, I pray that as we get into your word, as we open up, we would receive it as it is in truth, not the word of man, but the very word of God. That same word that in the beginning said, let there be light and light was. We know that your word is not without power. And that's why we're here, Lord, because we want to be your followers. We want to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. So I'm going to read the passage as you have, uh, if you will, recollect from last couple of sermons in Mark. Mark is a very fast-paced gospel, the shortest of the gospels. And so there are many great uh, passages or events that Mark touches on as he recounts and records Peter's memory of Peter's life and experience as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus. Mark records these things, but much uh, of what he records is not filled with detail. And so Luke, the physician, very detail-oriented, often adds those details for us. Same story, same event, but Luke fills it out with more detail. So that's why we have Luke chapter 5, Mark. But In the Gospel of Mark, we will start with uh, chapter 1, verse 16. And we'll just read a few verses, and then we will um, go from there. Four fishermen uh, are are called as disciples in this section, and, and this is what is written here by Mark. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So my question as we start and, and as I read this, you know, the word that stands out is, is follow. You know, this, is, this is what we're talking about is being a follower, um, then the question is, who are you following? Better question, who's the world following? Well, I did some research to find out just the answers to those questions. It turns out on Facebook, Cristiano Ronaldo, soccer player, has 102 million followers. Shakira has 100 million. Eminem, I didn't know he was still around, unless you, you know, this is the chocolate thing you eat. But he has 92 million followers. Vin Diesel, 90 million. This one surprised me. Michael Jackson has 75 million followers and he's dead. uh, Barack Obama, 43 million. And Pope Francis finishes uh, in with 14 million. I left out a lot, but uh, 
but included some in there. Now, it's funny how times change. Uh, there's, there's also this thing called Twitter. And you guys know I'm not a social media guy, so I don't have a Facebook account nor a Twitter account. But uh, some of you know what Twitter is. Uh, following on Twitter means, you, you know, and, and on all these things means you subscribe to uh, people's sites and, and you get feeds from them. You get updates from them and their lives and what's going on. Well, who are people following on Twitter? Katy Perry, number one. 67 million followers. Justin Bieber, 61.5. Barack Obama, 56.5 million, roughly speaking. And uh, Taylor Swift, 54 million followers. So that's who the world is following. Uh, Now, my dad, I remember growing up, my dad told me, don't be a follower. You know, if your friends all jumped off of the bridge... You know this story. Would you do it too? Don't be, Steve, don't, don't just be a follower. And I remember too when if someone was following you, that was a bad thing. Like somebody's following me, you know? Like what do I do? It's a stalker or something. That was being followed by a stranger was creepy. And now it means somehow you're popular. My how times change. And it got me thinking, what if Satan had a Facebook page? How many followers would he have? Much more than would like to admit it. What if Satan had a Twitter feed? It wouldn't be what you would think. It'd be very, very popular, wouldn't it? And Satan does have millions of Facebook pages and Twitter feeds for people to follow. (coughs) Millions of people to follow. And what if Jesus had a Facebook page? How many followers would he have? How often would they check his page? How often would they check for his updates? It's interesting to find out that 23% of Facebook users check their account five or more times every day. The mean number of, the the average number of daily look-ins by Facebook users is four. And the question this author asks is, are we really so interesting that we have to keep up with our friends um, every 90 minutes? Evidently, the answer is yes to that. Why is this important? Uh, Printed out this article. I'll just briefly summarize it for you. Who you follow on social media changes you. Who you follow changes you. This article said you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Think about that for the moment. The people you're around the most influence how you think and how you behave. The Bible even says bad company corrupts good morals. Their effect on you is subtle yet complete. Now think about Facebook or Twitter the friend who posts the most, the content of the social network's algorithms uh, throws in your face, becomes just like one of those five people. Who you follow matters because it changes you. This is an article. Number one, they say, they change your mind. The content curator controls the message in the same way you are controlled and remade by the messages you allow in. A steady diet of only one perspective starts to make it seem like that's the only one in existence. Your mind becomes locked in a way of thinking regularly supported by a dangerously one-sided scaffolding. A choir made up of only sopranos is not as rich as when the bass, tenor, and alto join in. Uh, Change your mind, change your attitude. And uh, this author again says, uh, garbage in, garbage out. We know that. You can be affected by others' attitudes if you are following them. And also they change your interests. It's not unusual to find uh, your interests being influenced. As a matter of fact, Many of you know Facebook is a huge marketing tool. The uh, idea behind that is finding out the things you, you, you like 
and then specifically targeting when they advertise to you based on the things you've liked. So they're using you, using your information to influence the purchases you make. And you know what? It's working. It's working. So these were all just thoughts in my mind as I was thinking about following. And it's interesting for me because being a follower is sort of like being an apprentice, a learner, a disciple, someone who is learning and when I was learning a trade, I remember thinking, I, I want to find the person who has the best reputation, does the best work, and that's the person I want to follow when it comes to this trade. I want to find the best because I know there's a few things uh, that, that are, were important to me as I followed that path. I know that who I follow is going to change me. The Bible even says this, that when a disciple, when he is fully taught, will be like who? Be like his teacher. You become like the one who's teaching you. It happens very subtly, but you begin to adopt their mannerisms, their way of speaking. It's, we are very, much more than we'd like to admit, we are very easily influenced, are we not? And, and we, we think we're tough, we think we're strong, but go to a foreign country and, and with, where they speak with an accent and find yourself returning with a little bit of that accent if you've been there long enough. It happens. It rubs off on us. So here's what I got to thinking as, as I think about following Jesus, and I think about these fishermen that are called to follow him. I think about learning a trade myself. And here's, what I, here's the things that, that sort of stood out to me with being a follower. Number one, when you're going to follow somebody, you better know that they know what they're doing. You don't want to follow someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Otherwise, you're going to end up following their not knowing what they're doing. Number two, you better like what you see because that's what you'll become. So when you follow somebody, you look at their life and you say, is that what I want to be like? Because that's ultimately what I will become or be influenced by. The more intimately you follow someone, the more true that will be. You better like how they live because that's how you'll live. And you better know where they end up because that's where you'll end up. Every road leads somewhere, even if it's nowhere, because nowhere is somewhere. It's hard to sort that one out. <laughs> but every, you know, the Bible is clear. There are two paths, right? One that leads to life and one that leads to death. There are two. You know, the, God makes it so simple. It's not like 15 paths. There's two paths. One path leads to life. One path leads to light. One path leads to truth. And there's another path. And a lot follow it. That leads to darkness, that leads to death, that leads to destruction. And so Jesus has gone from the region of, of the Dead Sea where he was baptized by John. He spent some time there. Uh, Simon Peter's there, his brother Andrew, they're there. They meet Jesus for the first time there as John the Baptist points to him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. So they're getting a sense who Jesus is. They actually have a meeting with him there. That's where Jesus tells Peter that he's going to his name's going to be changed. You know, his name is Simon, but you're going to be called Peter. That happens there. Then Jesus goes to his hometown, Nazareth. He goes and he teaches in the synagogue there. And what, the, what happens there? They reject him there. He's rejected in Nazareth, Nazareth so he moves on to uh, the region of Galilee, which is in the north, the Sea of Galilee region, the north side of the Sea of Galilee Capernaum and, and those regions and that's where he begins to minister and of course since it's around the Sea of Galilee what do you expect to find there fishermen 
And that's exactly what he finds there. And the, the way that uh, Mark puts this, it's interesting. Jesus approaches them, says, hey, uh, follow me. And they go, okay. You know, immediately it's like, that seems awful sudden to decide to follow somebody. But there's a backstory, And that's why we marked Luke chapter 5. So if you go with me to Luke 5, I want you to see the backstory. So that you see this wasn't just a, a mindless kind of, well, we don't know this guy, but we hate fishing, so let's take a chance, right? Tired of smelling like fish. Chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll just read through this with very little commentary. Uh, we'll read it through just so you get a sense of what's going on. So it was as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, same thing as the Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down my net. So Jesus is this teacher, and he gets in Peter's boat, or Simon, he's called Simon, he gets in his boat, and says, hey, why don't you push out a little bit, go to a little deeper spot, and, and let's catch some fish. Let's go fishing. And Peter's like, man, we've been out all night fishing. Like, you're a rabbi, you're a teacher, and we're fishermen. And, and we know how to catch fish, and we haven't had any luck. And you're telling us that we're going to go out and we're going to catch fish now? I don't buy it. But since you said so, we'll humor you, and we'll do it. At your word, he says, I'll let down the net. And verse 6 says, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. Can you imagine Peter's eyes just bugging out of his head? Like, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. That's called a good problem to have, right? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I can't believe I said what I, I can't believe I didn't trust you. I can't believe I said what I said. And now he sees uh, this about Jesus. He sees what Jesus was able to tell him and what Jesus was able to do. And he's just humbled by this, broken by this. And he falls down at his feet. Verse 9 says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had, ta which they had taken. And all, as also were James and John, we see them in Mark 1 and here again, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So these four had a, a fishing consortium here. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. And so, of course, Peter's first sermon, he catches a net full of 3,000 fish. Book of Acts, first sermon he preaches uh, after the, the pouring out of the Spirit. That's, this becomes true. Go back with me now to Mark chapter 1. So I wanted to deal with the, the idea that immediately they followed him. You see it, there's the backstory that shows, man, having had that happen, having had that experience, then Jesus invites them to follow. I, I think they get a sense a little bit more of, of what Jesus is calling them to do, what he's asking them to do. But go back with me to verse 16. He walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That seems to need to go without saying, right? I mean, of course, they're fishermen. They're casting their net. They're doing their work. Now, the first thing that's interesting to me is that Jesus would even bother with disciples in the first place. 
If any of you are tradesmen in here, you know, or if you've ever had to train someone to do the job that you do or to do a job, you know that for about the first six months, it's all investment. You know, it's just easier to do it yourself, easier to do it by yourself, because taking training someone, teaching them, it takes you twice as long to accomplish the task. Now, if you're Jesus and, you, and you're going to go out preaching, it seems like it'd be just so much easier. Look, no, I'll just do it by myself. Thank you. I don't need the hassle, more mouths to feed. I'll just take care of it. But Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified, buried, and he's going to rise again. And he is, he is passing on valuable truths to them as they get to walk with him and watch him. He's passing on himself. He's passing on a way of life to these guys. And he, that's what he wants to do. So it's, it's worth it for him to spend the time to see them make the mistakes. Oh, Jesus, your disciples couldn't cast out the demon. Yeah, bring him over here, you know. He's got to deal with these lunkheads. I mean, why fishermen? Right? You'd think that if Jesus wouldn't call disciples, he'd be in Jerusalem at the temple, finding the, the cream of the crop from the rabbinical schools, finding the guys that are really smart, not the guys that are failures as fishermen. We've been fishing all night. I haven't caught a thing. He finds these failed fishermen to follow him. So, so that's unbelievable in itself, but the fact that he takes time to work with these guys over three years, I think there's a lesson there. There's a lesson there for me because you and I, how many disciples do you have? The Bible is clear. Take these truths, Paul tells Timothy, that I have passed to you. Pass them to faithful people, faithful men, who then can pass them on to others. That's God's plan for discipleship. We wouldn't be here if Peter, James, John, Andrew, and the rest of the guys hadn't taken up the ball and made disciples. They had, they had their own disciples. And then those disciples went out and made other disciples. And isn't this what Jesus said to do? Go and make disciples? He didn't say go in all the world and entertain people. He didn't say go in all the world and, and, and just sing songs and, and have fun. He said, make disciples. And I, I know some of you are new Christians. Some of you maybe have been around a long time, and I want to challenge you. Jesus took the time to invest in personal relationships, in discipling, in showing people his way. And then his disciples took the time to invest in and show people Jesus' way. And this is a real challenge, especially for, uh, well, for all of us, really, because life's busy. We've got a lot of relationships but ask yourself, is there one person that God is bringing me? Am I even open to discipling intimately, personally, one person in my life? Maybe it's your children, and that's okay. Maybe you've got a young family. Don't, just, you know, don't, don't expect the church to do the work God has called you to do. Well, I don't know how to do it. I don't know what I'm doing. Then learn. Then you have to, follow, you have to do what's being called here. You have to become a follower of Jesus. Now, he says, uh, so they're mending their nets, or they're, they're, they're throwing out their nets, because they're fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. The word follow means to come behind or to come after. This is not like following someone on Twitter or Facebook. This is not a casual interest where you just kind of keep up. I think a lot of people have a Facebook relationship with Jesus. I'm just going to check out what he's up to. I'm not going to commit or anything. I just want to be check in here, check in there, see what he's up to. I'll read a little bit of his word now and then to see what his tweets are. 
And the Bible is just a series of tweets from Jesus, right? And, yeah, check it out and I'll consider it. Maybe I'll retweet it to somebody else. But actually coming behind him, actually spending time with him, actually learning of him, following his way, doing what he does, going where he goes, saying what he says. Now, I don't want to commit to that. But that's what the word means to follow in that context. He says, follow me. Later on, it says they immediately, verse 18 says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. It's a different word. That word is a combination of two words. The first word that means together and the second word that means way, road, or path. They immediately left their nets and together walked the path with him. That's what being a follower means. It doesn't mean just, it doesn't say follow your denomination, follow what the church is doing, follow a program. It's get on the path that I'm walking and watch me walk it. And not just watching for information, but watching so you can learn how to walk your path. Imitate me. Do what I do. And that's a challenge, I think. A lot of people come to church and they, and they read what the Bible says. They see what Jesus does. And then somehow there's this wall up and we go out there and we act a completely different way. I mean, when I was learning a trade, it was like I wanted to, I was watching and paying attention, asking as many questions as I could. Because How did you do that? That, how did you make that happen? I wonder, can you teach me how to do that? And it took years to learn. It was an investment of years. And that's why Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you become. It's not instant. It's not like boom. Interestingly, he also doesn't say, learn how to become fishers of men and then you can follow me. And, and go to a few fishers of men seminars. Read a few fishers of men books. Get the Fishers of Men tapes, and then you can follow me. Look, after I got saved, like, I'm not a fisherman. You're like, I don't, I, there's, a, there's a fine line between fishing and standing on the shore like an idiot holding a pole. I fall into the second category. I, I'm just so hyper that fishing just drives me crazy because I just, I'm not that patient. I'm just not. But when I got saved, you didn't have to tell me to fish for people. I wanted to. I loved it. And to this day, I'm always fishing. Some of you know me. You know that that's, and I think, I don't know, maybe that's why he called these guys instead of the rabbis. Instead, you know, it's partly because how can you teach someone that already knows what to do? How can you teach someone who already has their mind made up? The rabbis, that group, they already knew what, what they were into. They knew what they were about. They had their minds set up. They were set in their ways. They were set in their traditions. They couldn't accept Jesus. They couldn't even see past their own religious views to see what he was doing and see that what he was doing was good and right. And what they were doing was wrong and ungodly. They couldn't see past. So, so in one sense, these guys are like fresh, a fresh slate, clean slate, and they knew how to fish. They knew about patience. They knew about bait and lures, and waiting. And so to this day, I love to fish for people because I'm all, when I talk to someone, I'm always looking how to, which bait can I use to turn the conversation to Jesus. That doesn't mean I don't care about them. I try to be a good listener. But you know, Paul said, I'm going to use whatever I got to find common ground with someone so that they can be saved. And so some, you're talking to someone, you meet him at the gym, you got that in common right away. You meet him at the soccer field, you got, him, you got that in common right away. And so you'd strike up a conversation, but I'm scared to converse. If you love him, you'll get over it. Love makes us do things we wouldn't often do. 
So because of love for Christ, because he's called us to be fishers of men, and if you love Christ, I don't think that's hard work. If you love fish and you don't have Food Lion or Sam's Club, you better get good at fishing because otherwise you're going to starve. And so what is, this, what is this person into? How can I toss out a little piece of bait to get him into a conversation? about what's important in their life, about you know, what, whatever I can use to engage them about their lives and about fishing and about those kind of things. So I think there's so many obstacles, just with the last couple of minutes, and then I want to get ready to share communion. He sees the other, he sees the other two, you know, they're mending their nets. And immediately called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Can you imagine? There's dad, left dad holding the bag or holding the net. Like, hey, dad, we're out of here. We're following Jesus. You good-for-nothing kids, get back here. I need you. How am I going to fish without you? You're like my whole fishing business. And off you go, following some crazy whim, following Jesus. Now, I don't know that that's how Zebedee felt, but you could imagine, right? Jesus talks about this. Jesus talks about the very thing because he realizes there's, a lot of, there's not only obstacles, but there's also excuses to following Jesus. Look, this is in Luke 9. As they journeyed on the road, someone said to Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You sure you want to follow me? I'm homeless. You want to be homeless? And he said, well, he changed his mind. Well, he says to another, follow me. But this guy says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, it seems like Jesus is very uncaring and insensitive to this guy. But only if you think his father just died. But if you realize that his father hasn't died yet and that he's saying, well, let me hang around the house. My dad's a fisherman. I want to spend some time with him. He needs my help in the fishing business. I really can't follow you because we're doing good business. Right now would be a lousy time. I mean, we're at the peak of the fishing year. Everything, I mean, the, we're getting new clients. Uh, we're really marketing ourselves. We, we've got some good accounts. I can't give up fishing now. My parents need me. My dad needs me. Hey, let the dead bury their dead. You follow me. He says, let me first. There's a lot of people who say, let me first. I'll follow you, but now's a bad time. Let me first get the kids off to college. Let, let me first get some money in the bank. Let me first just, I got some good years of business left in me. When I'm, you know, basically what we're saying is, when, when I can't do anything else, then I'll follow you. Let me wait till retirement when I... And Jesus said, if that's the attitude you have about me, then don't bother. Then don't bother. If those things are more important to you, then, then let, let's not, I'll find somebody else. It's okay. Keep fishing. You enjoy that. I'll find somebody else. Another guy said to him, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Jesus, I'd love to follow you, but what, my family and my, my parents, my, my siblings, you know. They, and, and the idea here is because when Jesus says, like, anybody who's not, worthy, not, not willing to leave, or anybody who loves parents, family, he goes through the whole list more than me, 
is not worthy of me. He means when there's a conflict. When, when there'd be a conflict between following Jesus and hanging out with your family. And there's a lot of people who have to, to give up some things. There's a cost of discipleship, isn't there? There's a cost for these things. And sometimes it's like, you know, we try, people try to manipulate each other. And, oh, don't do that. You can't do that. What will we do without you? You know, I don't know. Figure it out. I've got to follow Jesus. It's not my problem. Because following Jesus is the ultimate. Now, that doesn't mean you have to quit your job. It doesn't mean you've got to put down your nets and, and stop doing what you're doing. Sometimes following Jesus means laying down your identity at work. You know, for me, it was the call to lay down my anvil, lay down my hammer, and follow him. This, this reality is tough. But not everybody's called in that way. The Bible also says, whatever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord. So... God needs designers, God needs accountants, God needs carpenters, God, all those things. But even with that, you might have some stuff to lay down to follow him, right? You might have to lay down your, your ambitions to get to the top. You might have to lay down a lot of things you may have to lay down to get there. And, and I appreciate these guys willing to, um, maybe they hated fishing. We're like, finally, a way out. My skin's pruned all the time. Fish smell, I'm tired of this. The problem isn't when you hate what you do. The problem is when you love what you do. And Jesus says, follow me. Oh, man. He's not going to call all of you to go plant churches in Guam or some other foreign place you don't even know where it is on the map. But he will call some of you. He will call some of you to sell your house. Leave your possessions. He told the rich young ruler, hey, what do I have to do to get into heaven? Well, follow the commandments. I've done that. Well, then why don't you sell everything you have and follow me? Uh, but I love my money. I trust my money. I can't do it. Then Jesus says, I'll tell you what. Enjoy your money. Enjoy your money. I'm going away. I'm going to go do my thing. See, Jesus is, is going to go do his thing. It's not us asking Jesus to follow us. That's oftentimes our prayer. Jesus, would you follow me? I'm going to start a new business. Come on, follow me. I'm going to get married to this person. I know they're not a believer, but come on, Jesus, bless it. Follow me. And this is the challenge. So, but there's one other story I want to share, and I'm going to invite the folks that are serving community to get prepared for that. So I, while they're getting up, I would try not to be too distracted. Because this is important. Uh, after that rich young ruler story, after that happens, Peter says, Lord, we gave up everything to follow you. You know, Peter like wanting to pat on the back. Way to go, Peter. See, we've left all and followed you. Not like that, that chump over there. And Jesus says, Assuredly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Interesting, he throws that in there. And in the age to come, eternal life. So, who are you following? And are you willing to count the cost? Because the value of following Jesus, if I think it's important as a worldly tradesman to find the best example I can to follow, how much more important is it for you to really consider who you follow spiritually, morally? Maybe you're following Jesus and Buddha 
and Confucius and just mixing all these things together, they're contradictory. And Jesus is calling you to make a choice. If you, if you want to follow Buddha and you want to follow Confucius and you want to follow these other things, then, then go do that. If you want to follow Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or Wizard of Oz or the Yellow Brick Road, or I don't know what you want to follow. I don't know who you get your influence from. I don't know who you're paying attention to who's influencing your life. But if that's who you want, then go for it. Do it with all your heart. But just figure out where it leads. My life, there's no choice. There's no question. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father but through me. You want to get to the, fa- to the Father? You want to get to God? You've got to follow Jesus. And it may cost you something, but in the long run, in this world, lots of blessing. Amen? Following Jesus ain't no hassle. I don't miss anything I gave up to follow him. Let's pray. Father, I, I don't know, uh, again, how this is impacting people that are sitting here, but I pray as we prepare to share communion, Lord, that, uh, that before we partake of the cup and the bread, that uh, those that are holding those things would consider putting aside the things in their lives that, that um, are only temporary to truly follow you, to do what you do, to say what you say, to learn of you, to become a disciple. It's in Jesus' name, amen.